dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see headlights on both ends of my day this country Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. In this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories you might have missed in the January 4th print edition. And we'll also have a conversation with Dr. R.C. Trotter, our local uh, a uh, family cowboy physician about the COVID vaccine rollout in rural Kansas and, and some tips and tricks to help you and your family as we navigate these, these new waters. Well, Kayleen, it is the first week of 2021. How was your new year? Very uneventful. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Didn't go anywhere. Didn't really watch the ball drop. I went to bed at nine o'clock. <laughs> we stayed up. Sean wanted to see the ball drop and since we switched from Hulu to Sling, we don't have local channels, and the one local channel that came in on the antenna doesn't wasn't working that night, so <laughs> we kind of flipped around to find a channel that had it, and at 11 o'clock Eastern time, we were able to see it, but it, they didn't bring it down like they normally do. I mean, it was, it was different, so well, he was unimpressed. You know, it's always been on my bucket list to spend certain holidays in certain iconic places around the globe. You know, I want to go to the the Kentucky Derby on Derby Day. I want to go and spend St. Patrick's Day in Ireland. I want to see the ball drop in Times Square in New York City before I die. I want to physically be there and and see that. And my fella thinks I'm crazy because he hates crowds. Before COVID, he hated crowds. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, you're on your own. <laughs> You know, I think the best relationships in my life are are complete polar opposites. He's one and you're the other one. (laughs) But looking at um, looking at the the scenes of just empty Times Square on New Year's Eve. And, and, you know, the few places, you know, the few first responders that they had that were kind of corralled in these, you know, little groups of huddled, you know, no more than six or seven people and and they were all six feet apart and it, it just it, it was just an incredible sight Kayleen something that I I never really imagined we'd we'd still be there in on New Year's Eve New Year's Day 2020 2021 so it didn't look like a fun place <laughs> it really didn't it kind of looked dystopian it, it really yeah. did and um, then there, there was other news reports where they were saying that they were breaking up large New Year's Eve parties in New York City. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. But we, we've got the vaccine. You know, we've got two, three of them now. Um, two of them approved in the U.S. There's a third one that's been approved for um, folks in, in um, I believe, in, in uh, certain parts of the world like Africa. You know, certain countries in Africa have have approved the AstraZeneca one, which doesn't have to be refrigerated down quite so 
so bitterly cold, um, so super chilled, so it's more user friendly. I, I don't know. I think I think as soon as we get some some you know build up those those immunity and and get people vaccinated and everything, like Dr. Trotter said, it took a while to get polio eradicated. We're still vaccinating kids for polio. It's gonna take a while, but um, you know maybe maybe there's bright stuff on the horizon, right? Yeah, I hope so. Of course, you know, this was all before yesterday. Uh, We'd be remiss. We're a news podcast, so we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about what we saw January 6th at the Capitol. I, I saw it first because you don't, you don't have anything going, you don't, you don't have the TV or news or anything like that going in, in your office at home when you're writing, but it's one of those things I always have on the background of my place. And the first reports were just when I first heard that they had evacuated Vice President Pence in the middle of the session, I thought, surely, surely this can't be real. This can't be real, Kayleen. <laughs> yeah, it all seemed kind of strange the way it went down. You see one thing on social media and then you see the other thing on the news, and it's like, is this really happening? I mean, and here we are in Kansas watching this unfold live in real time over multiple channels. The, the, I mean, it, it started off as a protest, but, but Kayleen, it, it ended up being a mob. It, it really did. Um, and you and I, we've been to the Capitol several times through, through our work at High Plains Journal. Uh, you've gone through those halls. You've been in the rotunda. I've been in the rotunda. Um, you know, walk past the Speaker of the House's office, uh, been on the, the, um, in the gallery of the House and the Senate for things. We know those locations. That's, that's kind of, you know, not quite familiar territory, but we've been there to see that destruction of, of the property, to see our elected officials huddled behind barricaded doors it felt like something out of the 1800s yeah I was a little disturbed that they got in as easily as they did and then they showed I was watching CNN and they show their live shot of the rotunda and people are walking through the ropes and with their holding their phones up video and and it's like I don't know if the terminology that the reporters were using storming the the rotunda or the capital was really appropriate but what other word are you going to use i mean they went somewhere they weren't supposed to be in so well some of the i think you had a, a tale of two kinds of protesters there yeah. the, there were the ones that were like hey we're going to come in you know but we're not going to do any damage and then you had the ones that were just there to do damage to film themselves doing that yeah so that they would have I mean, there was live streaming from people that were, that were, you know, storming. There was a lot of destruction of property in the offices. Not only that, but hearing from IT people, the sheer fact that those offices of elected officials, the computers in them and the electronics in them were not shut down before people left. So there's now a, an entire, um, there's, there's now a fear that they're going to have to go through and wipe every single electronic device that was in currently in those offices because there's national security issues at play. There was no hard shutdown 
of those. And if you have somebody taking a picture of a computer screen of, of um, Speaker Pelosi's computer, and there is an email open up on the screen, that's kind of, you know, that's terrifying. You don't know what was implanted in those computers from anybody. Yeah. And well, when I was watching CNN, they had a a view, wide shot view of the Capitol when the people were up on the steps and stuff. And there was other people milling around and some of the language that that camera caught, (laughs) it was kind of shocking. And I was flipping channels on the, the antenna and there's some info wars or some strange channel on there. And they showed the gal that got shot and then consequently died. They showed the video of it happening. And I'm just sitting here like, I don't want to see this. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of things that happened yesterday and we're still sorting through. But here's what bothers me is like, you're right. How easily those barricades came down. And, and you see video of Capitol Police pulling back the barricades and saying, yeah, come on in. You have video and photographic proof of Capitol Police taking selfies with the mob. You and I have been on the Capitol. I have interacted with the Capitol Police. Literally, I got lost on the way to a, to a function in a, in a room after hours. It was a, we were there for some, you know, some function. I needed to go to the ladies' room. I took a wrong turn and got lost. And the Capitol Police officer was there within like three seconds and <laughs> yelling at me that I was in the wrong place. And I was, if I didn't turn around, I was going to go to jail. <laughs> I was just going to the bathroom. <laughs> you thought you were. <laughs> Seriously, after that, I didn't have to go very hard because I was <laughs> terrified. But you're telling me, you're telling me that we didn't have any preparations. They didn't have riot gear prepped. They didn't have any of that for a, for a demonstration that they knew months in advance. I mean, that we've known about this was going to happen in, at least for yeah. four weeks. So you have that. And nobody nobody's saying that you don't have the right to protest. My gosh, that is your First Amendment right. That is that's totally understandable. We have seen protests up and down the National Mall, Kayleen. I accidentally walked through some of them <laughs> at one point in time. I don't know if you've ever timed, you know, in, inadvertently timed a trip to D.C. during the National Right to Life protest. Mm-hmm. Don't do it because it's insane or any protest. You can't get around anywhere. Um, but when you actively destroy property, when you actively show up with zip ties, when you put up a, a noose, a hangman's noose outside, and there's talk of, of hanging duly elected officials when you catch them, zip tying them and killing them, that ain't right. Yeah. That is not right. That is not America. And I don't care what your political leanings are. That ain't right, Kayleen. You know, there, there's a reason why we have the process we have. So either- Well, and I think there's, I think there's a lot of people that have either not been taught or have forgotten what the process is and how things are done in a certain way to get a certain outcome as far as government goes. And just because Jim Bob out here believes it shouldn't be that way or believes in his way is better, it, nobody's better than someone else. You know, we all have rights. We all have, have things that we stand for, but 
just because you don't agree with someone does not mean that you have the right to be mean, essentially. We are a nation of laws. That's what the Constitution says. We are a nation of laws. And just because you don't like the laws, you know what? You run for office or you go and, and talk your case on Capitol Hill or you bring it through the courts and say your piece there. Yeah. You know, and and there's a lot of talk of the some of the people that were there um, have been identified. Facial recognition is going is going through now. You know, FBI is looking for for help and information. But some of the facial recognition is showing up that these are people from white supremacist groups, from hate groups, from from groups that, um, you know, folks that that thought the Oklahoma City federal building bombing was the right way to answer. And, and some of the, the talk that's coming out of, you know, some of the chatter that's coming from those groups, you know, this, you and I, we were young enough. We saw the Oklahoma city bombing in real time when we were kids. I never thought I'd see something, an insurrection like that at the U S Capitol. Never, never in in a million years. Um, you know, our hearts go out to the four people that lost their lives. One woman was shot by Capitol Police because she, as she was breaking into a window. Uh, three others, according to what reports we can get, were um, medical. Were, medical. Yeah. Something. Uh, but uh, I, I just don't understand how we still haven't heard from the, the chief of the Capitol Police how there has not been any sort of press conference of, well, this is what happened and we are currently, you know, talking it through. All I can do is, is hope and pray that in the coming year, Kayleen, we, we start figuring out how to talk to our, our neighbors again. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard to talk to our neighbors that we don't really agree with. Yeah, I think so. I know I had to to snooze a few folks yesterday on social media, and that's the first time I've done that because I've usually just been able to scroll right on past, but when they start spouting off about certain things, it just kind of hit me the wrong way, so (laughs) I snoozed a few. You know, I, I talked with my older sister about a month or so back. It was, well, it was right after the the election, and I said, you know, I just don't know if I can ever get past the fact that some of my friends, you know, people that I consider my, my closest friends, you know, they, they think this, you know, or I thought I knew this person and I don't understand where he's coming from or where she's coming from. I don't, I don't understand how they, they can think that way. My sister had this advice. She said, there was a reason why you are friends with them. There's a reason why you have a relationship with them. There and sit down and think about three things that you still love, that you still have in common with that person. Write them down and focus on those three and rebuild. And she said, sometimes, yeah, sometimes there are irreconcilable differences. But if you don't do the work, are they really irreconcilable? Yeah. So maybe that's the answer. Maybe folks, if we sit down at the at the coffee shops, if we sit down with our, our friends and neighbors. And start talking about the things that we have in common. There's a lot that we have in common. We all obviously love this country. 
not going to lie there. Love being an American. Love it. It, it. This is the best land of opportunity that we have. And if you start building from there, Kayleen, surely we can figure out our way through the differences that we have. Right? There's still hope, right? Yeah, I would hope so. Well, folks, um, we hope that you had a good new year and um, we hope wherever you're at, you and your loved ones are safe and you're healthy and um, you're figuring out a way to figure out through the the commonalities and um, to work through our differences. And we would love to hear from you. Drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com. Let us know what you're doing to make your little part of the world better. Or you can always call us at 1-800-452-7171. And do us a favor and head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Hey, everybody. It's 2021. And thank you for riding with us here on HPJ Talk. cover stories by Dave Bergmeier, Data Matters and Cattle Genetics, Details Pay Dividends. An insider, web editor, Shauna Rumbaugh, took a look over the year's top stories on the website in her piece, In Hindsight 2020 seems, Sees Producers Overcome Challenges. Other stories came from our writers on topics ranging from COVID-19, of course, and its influence on consumer behaviors, to soil health tactics and heifer selection. On our opinions and edit tutorials page, editor Dave Bergmeier wrote about the headlines we'd love to read, and there was a few letters to the editor, and as well, Jenny, you had your common ground column this week. Let's just be cool, 2021. Yeah, if anybody has ever worked cattle, remember, go slow, go easy. Don't spook 2021, and maybe this first week was probably not the best example, but throughout the rest of this year, could we just kind of Go easy into 2021. Don't make any sudden moves. You be cool 2021. We'll be cool, okay? (laughs) And remember, if you've missed any of these stories, you can always find them online at www.hpja.com. And remember, if you've got a response to something you've read or heard, we want to hear from you. Write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We really want to hear from you. In this week's featured interview, we touch base with Dr. R.C. Trotter of Family Practice Associates, and he's also the Ford County Physician Advisor. And we talk with Dr. Trotter about uh, the COVID vaccine rollout and some questions that some of our readers and listeners have brought to our attention about COVID-19 and how they can better protect their families. 
Well, folks, we're now approaching the one-year mark for COVID-19 in the U.S., and we've heard some good news at the end of 2020 with the rollout of two vaccines across the country. But there's still a lot of ground to cover before we're fully out of the pandemic, right, Kayleen? Yeah, and we thought we'd check in with our local neighborhood cowboy doctor, Dr. R.C. Trotter of Family Practice Associates here in Dodge City. Dr. Trotter is well-known in our community as the Cowboys doctor. He served on the board of the Dodge City Roundup Rodeo and has spent his career helping the rural people of Western Kansas. Dr. Trotter, welcome back to HPJ Talk. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. We had you in the podcast in, I believe it was April this past spring, and you gave us some insights into the pandemic from a, a physician's uh, perspective. Let's start by where do we stand right now here in Dodge City with regards to the pandemic? Is it as bad as it was in April? Have we gotten better? Have we gotten worse? Well, we're a lot better off than we were in April. And just to kind of recap what happened back then, uh, around April, even before that, uh, we got a lot of testing sites going. At one point, we had six testing sites. We were doing over 200 tests a day. And we were just really getting handle on who had it and trying to keep everybody safe. Of course, obviously, a lot of that was beef packing at that time because, you know, they all lived together and worked together, as I explained to a couple different New York Times interviews. That's why it was there. It's kind of like living in New York. You live on top of each other and you work together. So that got us down into the single digits through the summer. That's when we put on the rodeo. Uh, there was not a surge after the rodeo. Uh, there has been a surge, obviously, with school reopening, and and the cases were pretty much all over town. Now they're outside of the um, packing plants now. It's it's it was all over town through the winter. Right now, we've had another drop off, starting in about November 30th. We're down to around maybe. 40 cases a day, sometimes 27. You know, it peaked up a little bit because schools opened, the college opened, uh, kids were getting, you know, getting the disease, bringing it home to the parents. We had a week-long Thanksgiving break, and then we've gone through uh, Christmas, and so things have started to slow down right now. We'll just have to see after everybody gets back into school and see where the numbers going right now. If you look at KDHE, the most recent number was three, but then that was January 1. December 30th, there were 19 cases reported. So we're, we're on a downward trend right now. Um, I can tell you that we're not getting near the positives here at the office that we did back in the peak. We're not testing nearly as often. We each one of us at that time had a whole afternoon that that's all we did out behind our office. And now it's kind of sporadic. Um, so it's, it's slowed down in terms of cases. The hospital, it's hard to, to, to measure that because some days they're low. They've even had days when they didn't have any. And yet I had a patient of mine telling me that he was in the ER and needed an ICU bed. And for a time there, they were thought they were going to have to ship him out to somewhere else. So obviously it waxes and wanes in the, in the hospital with filling up of the beds. And then uh, the biggest problem with the COVID in the hospital is a, in any normal 
illness in the hospital, the average length of stay is 3.5 days. COVID patients are a couple weeks, two to three weeks. So that's once you start stacking those in your facility, you start using up beds and then you use a lot of resources with ventilators and a lot of nursing staff. But so the hospital fluctuates. Um, like I said, sometimes they have bed space, sometimes they don't. It's just you know, what's going on at the time. We have started some vaccinations of, of healthcare workers. We've done a, one round of uh, some hospital workers, uh, some of us that work in the healthcare field, and we're waiting for a, a second uh, Pfizer vaccine, our second shot for that. I'm so glad you brought up the vaccine, sir, because I tell you what, I every time I see one of my friends who's a nurse or a doctor or an emergency on the front lines, and I see that they got their shots, I breathe a sigh of relief because I know at least they are protected and we can start, you know, seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. It just makes me so happy to see that I'm going to line up the minute that I can, I can get in there and do my part because, you know, it's all going to take us to, to do our parts for that. Let's talk about the vaccine rollout. I know you can only talk about Kansas and Dodge city um, and not like a, the grander scale, but uh, what, what can you tell us about the two vaccines that are available, uh, Pfizer and Moderna? And then how is that rollout going here in Kansas? Um, what, what do our neighbors, our readers need to do if they want to get a shot? Well, first off, yes, the Pfizer vaccine, uh, you get your initial dose, second dose is at 21 days, Moderna, uh, initial dose, second dose at 28 days, not a lot of difference there. Uh, I, I, after we did our Moderna here at the office, we had some side effects. I polled a lot of healthcare work, uh, healthcare officers, and it really wasn't that much in some other areas. So we were just maybe kind of unlucky with a few people. Um, mostly they're trying to get healthcare workers at this point, there is a limited supply. Uh, the health uh, department uh, gradually gets doses, the hospital gets doses, and, and then has been going around the health department, uh, you know, healthcare workers and catching them when we can. Phase one is healthcare workers and trying to get them. You gotta, I know there's been a lot of talk about extending the time between the first and second dose so you can give more people. Uh, things like that. Uh, I've done some checking just so I can visit with you with uh, Lee Norman, KDHE and, and other reading. And it's really not the way to do it. You really need to, you know, the Pfizer should be every, you know, within three weeks and Moderna within four, because that's what they did in the study. So you don't want to vary from the studies because that's what tells us is going to work. So that's why we're going to stick with that plan. And so, yeah, when we can get more, well, then we can start opening up to the general public. But right now, it, it, you know, it's going to take a month or more just to get through healthcare workers, and then, uh, and then when they get more supplies, start uh, opening up. We haven't gotten anything here at the office in terms of vaccine that we haven't gotten from the health department. So, I'm supposed to do an interview or some kind of thing here to see if we can eventually get some supplies. I know that, you know, that Walgreens nationwide, you know, has a contract, CVS does. So eventually we'll be able to roll it out like we did with polio and some of those things. But be patient, 
keep doing your self-distancing, keep wearing your mask, doing the things you can until we can get the vaccine here. Is the plan to, to do healthcare workers first? So, so we protect, it's kind of like putting on your oxygen mask in case the, the plane goes down, you, you, you lose his cabin pressure, you take care of the people that are going to take care of the others, right? And then are, are, is it going to be go to your doctor's office and figure out your place in line? Is it going to be the local county health departments that are, you sign up there? Have they, have they, has Dr. Norman or anybody kind of given you some insight as to how that's going to go? To be honest, no. <laughs> we don't know at this. More than likely, I'm going to guess that the health department will get it first and then they will prioritize, you know, in terms of age and uh, comorbid conditions like that. But to be honest with you, I've talked, I talked to Angela just yesterday and we still don't know exactly, you know, how many doses they're going to get after we get through this first round. So yes, there will be a plan. Can I tell you what it is? No, I can't. I know I have people asking me, what about, you know, my so-and-so has, you know, has a medical condition. Well, when we can get it available. So that's why we're telling people keep doing your usual activities right now in terms of mask and self-distancing and thinking about, you know, do you go to these certain functions? Um, I know I kind of, people see me places, but that's because I pick and choose those that I think are necessary for Mary and I to be at and those that we could bypass this year, which we did. So we, we spent Thanksgiving alone just because we thought, you know, we were going to have to go to Dallas to the national finals and, you know, we're going to pick and choose where we're going, taking our risk. Very and, well. And there wasn't that many people in Dallas. I mean, the, of course, they had it in Globe Life Stadium. We didn't even go there because we came on home. We usually don't, but the meetings weren't that bad and everybody wore a mask and we took care of business down there. So, but, you know, we'll see how things go once we reopen the school. I think it's good to reopen the school. But, you know, we'll just see if we have another little surge here as people get back together there at the school system. Yeah, my kids went back yesterday and they weren't real thrilled about having to go back to school, but I think they need it. Um, okay, so tell me a little bit more about the vaccine. You know, the person gets a shot, they get the follow-up shot. Are they immediately covered? Do they need to, what do they do? Does it kick in automatically? What do they do while they're waiting? Well, I'm sure that, you know, the fact that there's an interval of three to four weeks that takes a while for the antibodies and then the second one, you know, yeah. I would still tell people, you know, and that's a concern that we have that the people who get shots are gonna get cocky and start, stop wearing masks and doing things that they should. Um, my advice to them, uh, yes, you will be developing antibodies pretty quickly within probably two to four weeks, and that's just kind of a guess based on how vaccines work. Uh, and it should carry you for quite some time, as we believe right now from the studies that were done. I would still advise, you know, to don't walk around with a big V on your forehead so that you don't have to wear your mask or don't have to social distance, but because, you know, just show some caution, show some respect to other people. So um, that brings to mind, um... The, the way vaccines work, and you'll have to forgive me because I'm, I'm looking at this from an animal science perspective, and it was at least 20 years ago since that last animal science class, so I may be a little bit off here, but isn't it 
doesn't the vaccine pretty much just create like an, an instruction manual for your for your immune system? And once right. the immune system figures out how to beat the virus, then it takes the vaccine and it gets rid of gets rid of whatever's left in your body. Or how exactly does the mRNA mRNA work? RNA, your your body forms antibodies to it, so it's going to take a little while. You're not immediately protected. Uh, and that's why all our vaccines work, even your tetanus shot and everything else. So it takes a while for you to develop the antibodies to it. Um, so, um, you know, that's why I'm saying, you know, probably four to six weeks post your second shot. And I haven't looked at the data to see when they thought the, the highest you know, protection value, when it really kicked in. But one could surmise somewhere between four to six weeks after the second shot. Uh, but then you need to still be somewhat careful as to what you do you know if you ever if you're as old as i am you went through polio and you know we were scared spitless about polio we closed all the swimming pools and some stuff like that and yes actually we started off with shots for a while and then that's when they later went to the sugar cube so we probably will see things develop somewhat like that now we were able to develop things faster because of computers and science and the things that we could do this round. And yes, I lived through it because I had a brother that got it. And I, as I say to people, you know, if you get COVID and, and survive, nobody will know. Uh, when you got polio, everybody knew somebody who had a gimpy arm, a gimpy leg, or were living in a wheelchair like my brother did the rest of his life. So I think that really got to people. And I've mentioned polio to people now, and they don't even know what it is. They get their shot when they're a kid and they don't know anybody that's ever had it. So uh, hopefully we can create that with COVID. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed, because, um, you know, uh, and, and speaking of, of vaccines, um, we, we've heard a lot about how the instances of flu, uh, regular old flu have, have dropped this winter. And um, one of my friends had, had posted this and, and I, I said, well, you know, obviously, if you have a lot of people that are getting the flu shots just so that they can self-identify and say, yeah, this isn't this isn't the flu because I got the shot. So let's sort that out. You know, while we were trying to figure out, is it COVID? Is it the flu? What have we got going on in our hospitals? Right. Um, is it because we had more people get vaccine or were we just trying to separate ourselves to not get COVID? And that had the added effect of, hey, guys, you're not going to pass the flu amongst yourselves either. Um, you know, what is there some good to come out of the pandemic on the other side? Well, we can all assume that maybe if we'd been wearing masks last year, we wouldn't have had as much flu last year or some distance. Uh, yeah, we've all surmised that. And the only way you can really figure this out is take a look at it when we get to June or July and see what really happens. No, we haven't seen much flu in the office. I saw a gal here recently and tested her and she was flu negative. So then I went ahead and did the COVID, which I'm waiting to come back. So, uh, and we were doing that clear back in, in the spring until it became obvious that if you couldn't taste or smell, you had COVID and that was it. So we didn't do as many flu. So, it's, it's interesting to speculate that we'll have a lower flu rate simply because we have people wearing masks and social distancing and certain things just haven't been happening. I don't know that our flu vaccine rates went up. I haven't seen that data to really know, 
but you know, I know we gave just as, tried to give as many in the office as we have before, but we'll have to see how it plays out. We're kind of early into the flu season anyway, so we'll see. Do you think on the other side of it, do you think those people that do have the flu and aren't seriously sick, they don't go to the doctor to get whatever help they need to get? Do you think that's influencing any of that, those flu numbers? I don't know. You know, we'll see. You know, to yeah. me, the flu is not the cold. Uh, the way I describe flu to people is you feel like you're going to die and almost wish you would. Yeah. I mean, you ache all over. You really hurt. You're, you know, so that to me is the flu. So many of these others that, you know, when we test them, they test flu negative and they probably got some other viral illness that, you know, that yeah. goes around. So uh, we'll just have to see. You know, we're not far enough into the season, probably. And I, I'll bet that, yes, it probably has been blunted. Is That's just my guess. It has been blunted because of the measures we've taken to avoid uh, COVID may have uh, protected us some against the flu. Yeah. So what about those patients who, who've had COVID and recovered? And what about the long haulers? So you hear that, that term in the news just... Can you explain what those that term means, the long haulers, and what the after effects that you and others might have seen from this going forward? You know, I've read about, and, and we've had a number of, most of the ones that I have seen have been mostly just continued respiratory symptoms and fatigue. I've read about neurologic stuff, and I've read about a lot of other things. Uh, I haven't seen any of those, most of those. I think you got to get a lot larger numbers than what we've had, but I think fatigue chronic cough are pretty common. I know some of us have treated some of those kind of like we would an asthmatic with some inhalers and steroids. Can't say that I have enough information to say if it really helped them, but we, we try to give them some symptom relief in that regard. Um, in terms of other neurologic stuff, I haven't seen any of that yet. I've read about it. Uh, we'll just have to see these kinds of things we'll be collecting data and sifting through it for a couple of years yet to sort out. And, you know, how come uh, some people got clotting disorder real early, got pulmonary embolus, and those are probably most of the deaths, especially early on. Uh, then I had a 90-year-old in here who was really pretty sick, and he survived. And, and then you've got a 45-year-old senator guy that didn't make it. We don't know. Uh, there's too much that we don't know about that. Presley and I were talking about, you know, the, the blood type issue. It, our supposition, not being the scientist, is it probably won't be the blood type, but it'll be something else that we find some other marker that might have made a difference and it looks like it's blood type. But we don't have enough data to, to say to people, oh, you, you're more at risk or you're at less at risk at this time. If, if somebody, if one of our listeners or readers is, has had COVID or one of their family members has, what should they be on the lookout for as far as some of those neurological symptoms or, you know, just to say, hey, I, I don't think this completely left you and maybe we ought to make sure the doctor knows about those so that we can monitor for long term. Oh, I would imagine. I mean, again, I haven't seen any, but oh, stuff I've read, maybe some memory difficulties things that, you know, more like cognition type things is what I've seen in the literature. Um, 
but then that might be a little hard to tell depending on the patient's age. I don't know that there's been any peripheral neuropathies, but I, you know, again, uh, you, you have to get a lot of data before you can start sorting that kind of stuff out. So, so Doc, we've been seeing a lot amongst our readers, our farmers, our ranchers about the use of ivermectin in treating COVID. And for our listeners and, and readers that um, are not familiar with animal health products, Ivamec is an animal health product that we use to treat parasites and livestock. So, um, you know, it's an animal health thing. Um, so first off, uh, Dr. Trotter, is there any merit to any of the anecdotal evidence that we're hearing? What do you tell your patients when they ask you about using Ivamec to, or Ivamectin to, to, you know, cure COVID? Um, are there other off-label things that you've heard of amongst your doctor colleagues that are out there? And, and I know that you are a scientist and, and you don't deal in suppositions. So, um, you know, help us make sense of this one, if you could. Well, and, and you're right when you say, just in case you don't know, yes, my undergraduate degree was pharmacy. So before I went to med school, I went through pharmacy. And so I have that bent of wanting to be giving people medicines that one are manufactured to high standards and then two have scientific data that say they're they're worth giving to people and you know there's two standards one does it work and two is it safe so yes knowing you would be asking i did some quick reading on ivermectin and bottom line is it hasn't been studied in humans it isn't you know indicated for human disease and no, none of us could recommend it. Um, same thing, you know, hydroxychloroquine, what has been looked at and has not been uh, beneficial when looked at in, under the scientific uh, eyeball. So yes, I've taken hydroxychloroquine when I took, I did mission work, but I took it once a week. So these, the potential cardiovascular problems with it were not an issue for me, plus I was much younger. So, you know, from, for, Physician perspective, unless it is CDC recommended, FDA approved, we couldn't say that it was worthwhile to do. Uh, people will do whatever they want. We're used to that, and but we certainly couldn't recommend it nor endorse something that's not fully studied and vetted. That's why the vaccines we're talking about, no, it should be given in the interval that it was in the emergency youth authorization for the FDA. Now, will we find out somewhere down the road that you could spread it out or something else? Okay, but you know, in order to get these vaccines out, this is the way they were studied and it was done very well in a large enough population of people to get positive results. So uh, can't very well vary from that study for the vaccines and we can't really recommend things that aren't proven haven't been you know been under the scientific eye for humans that makes a lot of sense kayleen right i mean you know you and i have been around animal health products our our whole lives you know working cattle or around horses like you um you know that's one of those things that I, I always worked the head gate dad never let me around the, the syringes i was horrible at that yeah, I had the, the, the pour on stuff ivermectin the last time and it was leaky. So whatever worms I had, if whatever seeped in my skin, I'm sure it, it got rid of. So there was no ill effects to that. <laughs> but uh, Doc, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us the opportunity 
to catch up with you and, and ask our questions. Uh, we know it hasn't been easy in the healthcare community to handle the pandemic, both in the hospitals and the communities that you guys serve. So thanks for what you've done for to care for our neighbors. Yes, yes, indeed, Kayleen. You know, we know that that COVID has brought out the best and the worst in people. And, and just last month, Dodge City was in the national news. Dr. Trotter, is there anything that you'd like to, to leave our listeners with before we close as far as um, what you and, and your colleagues do to, to help our communities and, and keep us safe? Well, on, one thing I've been totally been impressed with is our hospitalists. And I've sat in meetings with them earlier on. We haven't done so much recently. And, and their expertise in the hospital was just phenomenal. They were on top of everything, using the latest stuff, remdesivir, uh, convalescent plasma, starting people on anticoagulants on admission, and then upping the dose if need be. So they did an excellent job in our hospital, and we had a very low death rate. The county health department, has, with all of this, has continued to do pretty much all of their services. Some of the child services had to hold up until they could get kids in, but they've been giving shots, doing contact tracing. We were just, I just had to deal with a TB patient. That's the kind of thing we were usually used to through the county health, but they're still taking care of all their, their normal day-to-day -day activities, plus all the COVID activities. So they're working hard. Uh, the offices are doing a great job. Pretty much all of us do some level of testing. In the peak times, we were testing big time. Now it's kind of slowed down. And, and we still have a testing site down at the expo that's funded by the state. So it is free. It's not the rapid test. I can tell you the rapid test is useful if you're symptomatic. If you're not symptomatic, we think there's a high false negative rate. So if you got symptoms, fine, get a rapid test. If you don't, you just want to know because you were with your in-laws and oh my gosh, somebody there you know, tested positive and go on down to the expo and they'll get you tested and it'll take a couple of days, but it's a better test than the rapid. So uh, everybody's working hard. We're hoping that yes, come spring, things will blossom again and we can be out, well, you can be outside anytime. So yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a trying time, but it's, you know, it's, it's, seeing the good in people has been beneficial and how you know the restaurants have come on board and they did a lot of you know meals and they did a lot of free meals and everybody's been trying to work with the system to keep us up and running well thank you so much for joining us and we'll be sure to see you on the trail soon all right thank you appreciate it Soil Health U is going virtual and coming to a screen near you January 21st. Register today to hear from Jimmy Emmons, a third generation farmer and rancher and the regional coordinator for the Southern Plains region FPAC within USDA. We'll also hear from Chris Nichols, soil microbiologist and founder and principal scientist of Chris Systems Education and Consultation, and Rick Clark, fifth generation farmer and owner of Farm Green. Registration for the virtual Soil Health U is open now at www.soilhealthu.net. High Plains Journal subscribers, check your current issue for a free registration code. The cost is $25 for non-subscribers. Registration will be required to access the live event and the recordings of the presentations, as well as the breakout idea exchange sessions. 
Watch SoilHealthU.net for updated programming and registration notes. The virtual Soil Health U is sponsored by High Plains Journal, Prairie Foods, and Exapta Solutions. Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Ag Resources on December 29th, corn was up at $4.94, wheat was up at $5.55, milo was up at $5.96, and soybeans were up at $12.16. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for our Soil Health U preview issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes January 11th with a story from contributor Amy Bickle. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again for riding along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. The headlights on both ends.